you never know what's coming. It, 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 the ball could come out of his ass. Who knows? We don't know. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, a man who spends many sleepless nights wondering why Dame Judy Dench won't return his spicy texts, my brother Mike. You think a classy lady like Judy Dench has given me her phone number? Come on now. <laughs> oh, she's oh, like oh. she's like royalty. I'm scum. I don't think she's giving it to you. I don't think she's giving it to you. I think you're finding yeah. it somehow. You're thinking right? like, I'm capable of doing I that. I think okay. I think you got some, you know, weird celebrity stalkerness in you. And you're you're going on the dark web, the dark web. And you're <laughs> finding a way to make it happen. And so you she's probably got a restraining order against you, I would imagine, as most uh, elderly celebrities do, but uh we'll see. We'll, you know. <laughs> well, tip of the cap to, to Judy Dench for keeping it tight. All right. <laughs> oh God. She is a wonderful actress and a wonderful yeah, human being. Sure. Uh, on this week's episode, we will review what I'm considering a, a, a decently played, maybe the best played week of Royals baseball season. It's a controversial take. People on Twitter are chewing me alive right now for making this take, but I, I thought they played pretty well this week. We'll review uh, the last week of Royals baseball, we'll have a, a too early discussion of what the team may do at the trade deadline, and then we'll preview this week's games. But first, Royals Weekly is brought to you by All In Physical Therapy. For one-on-one -on -one personalized physical therapy, we choose All In Physical Therapy. They took excellent care of our mother after surgery left her with pain and limited mobility in her arm. She loves to work out, be active, make the Kessel run in 12 parsecs. The excellent specialized care she got at All In Physical Therapy had her back to being active in no time. She once armbarred Hulk Hogan so hard he crapped his Speedos, people. Brother. <laughs> what brother? <laughs> <laughs> All in Physical Therapy knows how to help athletes recover. It's owned and operated by Lee Summit's own Tommy Freevert, a former Arena League football player, Northwest Missouri State Bearcat, and a hell of a guy. They have offices in both Blue Springs and Lee Summit, so get over there to work with Tommy. Tell your doctor you want to do your physical therapy with the best of the best at All in Physical Therapy. To learn more, give them a call at 816-427-5300. That's 816-427. 4275300 or visit their website at allin-pt.com that's a l l hyphen p t or sorry a l l i n hyphen pt.com let's start the review with roster news there wasn't there's not as much as last week but there is some some what i would call encouraging roster news at least on the human being front and that is that Ryan Yarbrough was placed on the 15 day IL but it looks like for the most part it turned out better than it could have with the line drive that he took directly off this off of his face, a very hard hit ball. He goes on the 15 day IL with what are called head fractures, but no, no talk of concussion right now that I've heard anyway, no talk of like uh, any sort of um, significant yeah. surgery or anything needed for these just seemingly uh, as on the better side of the outcomes that could have happened from this. Yeah. They mentioned non-displaced fractures, which if you have to have a fracture, that's the kind that you want. And no surgery necessary is, is a great sign because it looks like it's just going to take time for those fractures to heal. So, uh, you know, thoughts out to Ryan Yarbrough. Continue to uh, heal up, man. Glad glad to hear that the news isn't as bad as it definitely could have been with something as scary as a line drive going 106 miles an hour. 
because of the pitching sort of vacancy left by Yarbrough's injury and by the injury to Chris Bubich at this point and Daniel Lynch not being back yet, Max Castillo was recalled at some point during last week. This was right at the beginning of last week, and he's made a couple of appearances this week. Mike, do you have thoughts on what you've seen from Max Castillo uh, at this point? Yeah, my, my thoughts are this is what Max Castillo is for and, and pitchers like Max Castillo are for to come in and fill in some spots to give you three to four innings when you need them to to possibly be an opener for a game. I know last year uh, when we got him in the in the Whit Merrifield trade that we were hoping perhaps he could be a back end starter. That's probably still his ceiling. You know, he could maybe someday if he improves a couple of things. We've talked about improvement on uh, his fastball. Uh, he's got a really good changeup, but improvement on the fastball. Maybe he works his way into being a back end starter if he reaches his ceiling. But this is what he is, and this is what you need guys in in AAA for guys like that. Yeah, and that's just say like he's done his job up to this point. Like he's he hasn't pitched that bad. He's given them like three or four innings every time he's come in. I think he did four and a third in the last outing he had, where he essentially played the piggyback starter to an opener. Um, and you know that that kept the Royals in the game to some degree, and they had a you know a chance at least a little bit. Um, I think I think Castillo is a marginal guy, a lot like John Heasley we mentioned last week. You know he'll be up and down a lot in his in his career, at least early on, at least until he changes something that will make him a viable starter on the back end or something like that, if that ever happens. But at the very least, you know you got a guy who can go out there and eat some innings for you, and hopefully you know keep you in a ball game for at least a little while. Um, we'll see uh, on him moving forward. I, I I think when Daniel Lynch comes up, it probably spells back down to AAA for Max Castillo, but we'll see on that front. Uh, the Royals also recalled Jose Quas, who they're sending up and down uh, quite frequently these days. And so just a bit of a roster news in there. Uh, another element of the roster news is the book has finally been closed completely now on Fran Mil Reyes as a Kansas City Royal. The Royals designated him for assignment earlier this week. And because he of his uh, status as uh, having so much uh, service time or being a somewhat veteran, he he can elect to uh, not take that outright assignment and elect free agency. And that's what he did. So he is now a free agent. Anybody can sign Fran Mil Reyes. Mike, what are your thoughts on the closing of the Fran Mil Reyes chapter in Kansas City? It was a good try. It was good effort. That's the kind of things the Royals are always going to have to do at the beginning of spring training is take a swing on some guys that other teams aren't uh, interested in at that time, but have shown promise in the past. Kendris Morales worked out really well for us in 14 and 15. Fran Mel Reyes did not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think there was a lot of hope for Fran Reyes, both once he was signed and as he sort of performed well in spring training. But he is a testament to the notion that not to trust string, spring training performance very much, right? We we tried to preach caution a little bit like, hey, you know, yeah. I know it looks great right now, but the, these guys, you know, that he's facing are not you know, the guys he's going to be facing in the regular season. And, you know, it it turned out that they must think that his swing and miss issues are just too much for them to address, that he won't ever really get that strikeout rate down enough to be a viable hitter in, in the middle of a lineup. And if he's not hitting, of course, Framio Reyes d- doesn't have a ton of value. And so we hope the best for him. We hope he goes out there and finds another team and finds a way to turn it around. But uh, the, the, the Franimal era is over here in, uh, in Kansas city, at least for now, who knows, maybe next year they give him another shot. Who knows? Um, on the field last week, the Royals went three and four as a record, which brings their overall record to 12 and 30. Record-wise, it was probably the best week all season for the Royals. I'm just searching in my memory, but I don't remember us having more than two week wins in a week uh, up to this point. And so it's a, probably a sad commentary on the state of the season as a whole. But they did probably have their best record-wise week this week. They went 3-4. and four. 
They got a series. They started the week with a series win against the White Sox, which was great. Love a love a series win against a divisional rival. They took three of four for them, and then they ended it by getting swept by the Milwaukee Brewers, who are actually a good team. Uh, Mike, how did you feel about the team's week? It's encouraging to see them the the offense continue to kind of build. You know, MJ Melendez uh, seemed to get going this week. Nick Prado looked very good this week. Um, even Bobby Witt Jr. kind of he's still very hot and cold. And there's still plate appearances that make you want to throw up, but but he's getting some results sometimes. He had a really good game today, and so and defensively he has looked uh, continued to look very very good at shortstop. So it, it was good to see that happen. But the pitching depth is as bad or worse than what we thought at the beginning of the season, and it's it's showing in many different ways throughout the game. So yeah, it was encouraging though to watch that offense, even in a week when Vinny Pasquantino didn't. Didn't really have a great week. A tiny comment on Bobby Wood Jr. that I have to throw out there because I saw somebody, he had a, Bobby Wood Jr. had a home run today, a solo home run on a pitch that was basically at a shoe tops, like down and in drastically. And I saw someone say, well, I hope this, um, this success or this home run, this swing gets him, gets him going, you know? And And I thought to myself, actually, we need to look at this as an example of something that we hope does not get him going. And by that, I mean, like, I hope he doesn't learn a lesson from this. That's like, I can swing at these and be fine. Right. Like, because that's not the lesson. I think he goes back to the dugout and they say, nice home run. Don't ever do it again. Right. Like, because you should not be swinging at that pitch. Bobby Wood Jr. will have he'll hit 100 on those pitches. And those that one hit will be a home run or something like that. You know, like he needs to to develop a process and having even very marginal success in, you know, outside of doing his correct process is bad for him. It's like, it's, it's not where you want to go. You want it to be like, okay, when he, when he has good process, he does well and he doesn't learn bad lessons from these one-off moments where he happens to hit one out in a meaningless game. Like I, I, I want him to have success, but I want it to be with a process that's going to be sustained success and not, ooh, he's really hot right now hitting pitches way outside the strike zone. That's not going to last, okay? He's not going to be – that's what goes – that's what creates his 0 for 5 days with no walks and three strikeouts. You and I talk a lot about the process versus the results on here. I compare it to kind of like golf, right? Every once in a while when you're playing golf, you'll hit like a, just a shitty worm burner that ends up three feet from the cup. That doesn't mean that you hit a good shot, people. It doesn't mean you should continue to hit shots like that. It just means you ended up getting a good result even when the process was bad. And baseball is sometimes like that, and golf is sometimes like that. And so, you know, I can throw a strike in bowling every once in a while. doesn't mean my bowling stroke is very good, okay? Uh, And so, like, yeah, I agree completely. You you don't want Bobby Wood Jr. swinging at pitches like that. But, yeah, you do see an at-bat here and an at-bat there where you're like, that's it. If he can do that consistently, he's going to be really good at this. Yeah. And I'm hoping that one or two at bats a game where you're like, okay, that was a really good plate appearance. Bobby turns into three or four uh, plate appearances a game. We are like, that was a really good plate appearance, Bobby. Um, I actually thought looking back at this last week and I got just totally reamed on this uh, on Twitter for this. I thought those first two games against Milwaukee were among the best that they, I've seen the team play. I said that I put that out on a tweet right before the game started today. And then of course they came out today and played like garbage. And so everybody was on top of me for making a comment that the Royals had played a couple of good games, even though they lost those games, they were just on top of me for it. And all I could think (laughs) was like, are we just, is it a universal rule that if you lose a game, you played badly. And if you win a game, you played well, I don't think it is right. Take that Corbin Burns game against Milwaukee. The Royals had to start an opener 
with Josh Taylor, and then Max Castillo came in. But at the plate, the Royals were having at-bats against Corbin Burns better than I have ever seen them do it this season. Okay, They were like working counts. They were drawing walks against one of baseball's best pitchers. They were working counts, drawing walks, getting on base some. It was really a professional baseball team, if that makes any sense. And I was like, okay, this is as well as they played all year. I know they lost five to one, but man, they were on top of it defensively at the plate. They they just did a lot of things that you imagine could help them win. And then that second game, they end up losing, I think by one run, maybe it was like four they, to three walk off. Yeah. It was walk off. <laughs> they got walked off. Yeah. And so, but they played really well in that one too. And I was like, okay, this, this is, this is something. And, and so, you know, if I looked back at this whole week, Chicago, Milwaukee, I think I would say this is the best they've played in a week so far this season. Not a high bar because they played pretty bad this season, but at the very least, I know people are calling me a sunshine pumper, which is so funny because I also get extremely <laughs> criticized for being too negative, right? Like, uh, but in terms of how they played, I think this is the best they've done. It's just, you know, that's not saying much when you're 13 and or 12 and 30, you know? Some of those guys, of course, did have strong strong performances this week because, as I'm saying, we played pretty well, some of them. Uh, Mike, who were your strong performers for this week? A lot to choose from on the offensive side. Salvador Perez had a phenomenal week again. Uh, MJ Melendez had a really good week, which is good to see. Um, Michael Massey had a good week. Michael Massey had a really good week. out there. I and thought about picking him. Yeah, it wasn't on the back of a bunch of walks, but it, his plate appearances were a lot better. Um but I went with Nick Prado because he seems to have been the catalyst for the offense ever since he came up. You know, he was eight for 21 with three doubles, one home run, seven RBI, four uh, walks to five strikeouts. He also seems to be like a guy on the team that when guys are on base, it isn't too much for him. You know, uh, he's really like driving the ball the other way with two strikes. You know, it, it's been it's been a whole new we talked a lot about the new approach from Nick Prado and and Alex Duvall came on and said, hey, wait till you see this new approach. And I've been wholeheartedly impressed with it. Um, Nick Prado is now looking like a guy who, along with Vinny Pasquantino, you've got and he made a good play in the outfield today, too. Like he's he's impressed me a lot because I always wondered if the strikeout numbers were just going to be way too high for him. And he has really shown up this year. Yeah, I, I, the thing I think about Prado is let me see what happens when he goes into a slump here at the major leagues because right now the strikeout rate is still pretty high. Right now his batting average on balls in play is like 500 or something. Like <laughs> it's He's going to come back to earth, guys. He's it, It's going to happen. The question is how does he respond to it? Does he dump the, the new approach? Does he go back to swinging too much? Or actually for him, sometimes it's not swinging enough. And you know do, what happens when the league starts to adjust to him? Does he Is he able to adjust back? You know, that's a good question I think we'll have to answer. But right now, Nick Prado, scorching hot and doing a lot of things that typically give people offensive success. And that's what I love to see, right? Taking the ball the other way is like a revelation for him, especially when he's behind in the count. And that sort of easy swing to drive the ball the other way is really helping out. So great week from him. Uh, I'm going to talk about a pitcher, which we rarely do in the strong performer section. Uh, especially lately, uh, but he had some, a good performance. He had good numbers in his last start. And so hopefully it's the catalyst to him turning it around. And that's Brady Singer. He's my strong performer for the week. He went six innings pitched, one earned run, two walks and four strikeouts in his outing last week. And I don't know that he was doing anything particularly different 
than he had been doing previously. He didn't throw a ton more change-ups. He, he wasn't locating a lot better or anything like that. He was facing a worse lineup in the there Chicago we go. White he's, Sox. He's going against the White helps, Sox. Which yeah. helps. That definitely helps. Um, but I hope it's in some way a confidence builder. I hope they're still working to get him back to what he was last year. His velocity was not back up to where it normally was, uh, and that's not good. And so the question is, like, will this be a stepping stone, or is he going to go right back to you know, getting shelled when he's facing really good teams? I don't know. But at the very least, I hope it was a strong week for him last week. I hope he builds on it and because they have to have him. Like, If they're going to be anything that resembles a competent baseball team this season, they have to have him because if not, who you got? You got Zach Greinke is maybe the only guy in your rotation – who really Brad Keller, Brad Keller and Zach Greinke are the only two guys in your rotation who even give you a semblance of a chance to win when they pitch. And that's not good. Right. And so hopefully Brady Singer can add to that, be a third guy who gives them at least a chance to win for some of his outings. Not everybody was a super uh, star this week, Mike. Uh, some guys sort of came back to earth a little bit. Tell us about your week performers for this week. Uh, I had Michael Garcia, you know, when he came up, he was doing great things and, and, you know, I'm hoping that because of his advanced approach, this is just a just a down week. It's a little slump for him, and he gets back to where he needs to be. But he was one for 19. That one hit was a double, but one for 19 is pretty bad. Uh, two RBI, two walks to seven strikeouts. That's a little high for a strikeout number for him in a week and 19 uh, plate appearances. So you hope that number comes down and the walk number stays where it is or goes up a little bit because that's really the player that he is. You and I have talked because he doesn't hit the ball extremely hard consistently. He needs those good walk numbers. He needs to keep the strikeouts down. He needs to be getting singles here and there and then driving the ball when he can. But uh, hopefully Michael Garcia can get over this week and, and turn it around next week. Yeah, Garcia's a guy I've been thinking a lot about and watching intently his at-bats because he won. It's interesting because when he's behind in the count, it doesn't always look like he sort of protects in the way that I would think that he should, right? Like a lot of guys, they'll sort of protect the strike zone no matter what when they're down in the count, with, but with two strikes anyway. Him, it looks like he's still taking a fairly decent cut. It looks like he's still kind of trying to juice the ball when he's down to two strikes. And I'm like, take the, t buddy, take the, um, Nick Prado approach and just loft one to right field. Like whatever you can do to put a ball in play when you got two strikes, Mikel Garcia, do it because you're going to have a chance to get on base. And that's all you really need to be doing is getting on base. I think he's been hurt a couple times by some bad luck. I saw him. He scorched one. I think it was today or yesterday scorched one directly to, I want to say shortstop or third baseman. They got caught. And so there's been some bad luck sprinkled in there. There's been some, what I would call poor umpiring in there against him. I've watched him take some pitches that are three, four inches off the plate for strikes. Don't love that, but uh, you know, keep with the process, Mikel Garcia. And I think he might turn it around. This is something that I think the Royals and smart baseball teams need to be thinking about as we get closer and closer to robot umpires calling balls and strikes. You have to identify guys like Nick Prado guys like Michael Garcia guys who are going to, benefit greatly from that who maybe have better eyes standing there at the plate than an umpire does standing behind the plate. And and because they're going to take a step up that will allow them to take a step forward without having to really do anything. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see when we have robot umpires calling balls and strikes, do guys like my, Michael Garcia and Nick Prado really benefit from those things? Because right now, sometimes they get calls on them early in counts that they're like, that was a ball and it was, but 
the umpire doesn't see that. And so, yeah, I'm excited for that because I think it, there will be certain players that benefit greatly. And I think those are two guys that will on the Royals. I can't remember if it was Garcia. I think it was. I watched a game earlier last week where Garcia was at the plate. He took two pitches for strikes that were actually balls. So he's down 0-2 immediately without a strike having been thrown. And by then, it's like, hey, the plate appearance is basically over, right? Like the fact that you're down 0-2 makes your chances of success nothing almost. And so, you know, granted to the Royals, they've been doing a pretty good job last week sort of getting back into counts when they're down. But I saw Garcia have a lot of tough luck with the umpire this week and some tough luck in lineouts. Hopefully he can bounce back. Hopefully his approach and his uh, process are good enough to have those results come back to him, uh, even though he's uh, having a bit of a rough patch. Uh, Another guy who's having a bit of a rough patch, which he is bound to have, right? Like Edward Olivares is bound to have rough patches. Why? Because he lives and dies by batted ball success. Edward Olivares had a week, uh, a tough week this week. He went two for 16 with one home run, two walks and two strikeouts. The two walks and two strikeouts is one of those things that makes me think, okay, it was just bad batted ball luck mostly for him. Um, He hits the ball hard most of the time. He's doing an okay job. Just every once in a while, you're going to have weeks where you're not actually getting hits on those batted balls. You're just getting outs. And so that's Edward Olivares this week. Hopefully he bounces back, but we'll see. He's a guy who I think they're doing the right thing with playing about 75% of the time as opposed to 100% of the time. I think you got to somewhat limit his exposure, put him in the best possible position to succeed, but ultimately he'll bounce back when that battered ball luck starts going the other direction, you know? Mike, in a three and four week where at times they look good against the White Sox, at times they look good against the Brewers, but they ended up losing more games than they win. What is your theme for this week? My theme for this week is no good, but fun, okay? (laughs) When this this Royals team can be fun to watch, but that doesn't necessarily make them good. You know, uh, yes, they're going to, I think they've got the ability to score in, in any game and they've got the ability to give up a lot of runs in a game. There's going to be times like the third inning today where it looks like it's a friggin' eight year old baseball game and it's, but it's fun. Like it's fun to watch them go out there and compete because you, you can always say, well, you know, we're down five. Well, you know, we could score four next inning. Salvador Brisket at home run. Like we, we've got that offensive firepower that can get you back into games, which is going to make the end of games interesting sometimes. And so ever like the other day when, when we were going against uh, Corbin Burns, I was like, well, yeah, we're, we're not scoring runs against him. We're having good plate appearances against him. So once he gets out of there, there's a chance we could go on we could score some runs here. Now it didn't happen that day, but there's been countless games where this year already where we've, I mean, there was one, we were down like seven to one crawled back into the game, didn't win it, but I think it ended like nine, eight or something like that. And so, yeah, they're they're not a good team, but they are a fun team. If you like baseball, this is a fun team to watch. Yeah, and it's one of those things that makes it a little more entertaining. They've played a lot of pretty close games recently, and some of that is basically offensive success. You, They actually did that two games in a row where they rallied back down five or six or seven runs and sort of made it a game in both of those, right? They had that game 5-4, I think they lost, or 4-3 to the Brewers, you know, where it was a close game. They get walked off in the ninth, you know. They're going to have some of those games, and then you're right, today, they're going to have some of the games today, like today, where the third inning looked like a friggin' three-ring circus, right? Mikel Garcia is trying to do too much on a tag, brings his glove down, error. Nate Eaton's trying to do too much in center, overthrows the third baseman. It's like, everybody, just calm down. Like, those little leaguers have those innings because they're all trying to do too much. 
Same thing with the major leaguers. These young guys try to do way too much out there a lot of the time. And it's like, just breathe. Okay. And actually this ties in pretty well with my theme because my theme is play raise baseball. Okay. What I noticed in the first couple of, of games in that Milwaukee series was that I thought that the Royals started to look one step closer to the Tampa Bay Rays in that, in those first two games. Cause when I think about Rays baseball, I think about two things primarily one plate appearances that are really, really good. You got guys working counts. You got guys drawing walks. You got guys taxing pitch counts, all this sort of stuff. The Rays in their organization take excellent plate appearances. The Royals started to do that in the first couple games of that Milwaukee series. I really liked the plate appearances that they were having against Burns. And then that second game against, I think the guy's name was Hauser. Was that his name? I think so. Yeah. was, But I can't remember. Two games with Rays-like plate appearances from a lot of guys. Then the other thing the Rays do is they play really good defense. Okay. They're not making the kind of mistakes that the Royals made in the third game of that Milwaukee series. What I want them to get to, and hopefully I'm hoping Matt Quatero is pushing them to, is a brand of baseball that looks a lot like that. We don't make a ton of mistakes because if you make mistakes, you're giving the game to the other team. Force the other team to make mistakes. Just don't make mistakes for so long that you're sort of pushing the other team and you take advantage of their mistakes. You see what I'm saying? Like that's a Rays brand of baseball that is, I think, a really good formula for success, but at the very least isn't so maddening as watching two errors that end up helping two runs score in in a half inning, you know? Yeah, those mistakes are, you know, they hurt you emotionally or I don't know how to say it, but it doesn't feel good to watch those. But still, the biggest mistake that the Royals make is walking people. They still walk way too many hitters. And so Rays baseball is we're not going to give you free bases. And so mm-hmm. uh, that that's another thing they still need to work on big time. But we've talked a lot about having, you know, time to get the arms here that you want to get here and that you feel like you can turn into strike throwers. Uh, they haven't had that time yet, but. Uh, Yeah, we got to stop walking people, man. Royals Weekly is brought to you by Knapp Family Wealth. Mike, can you think of anything more important than securing your financial future? Luxury toilet seats. No. Uh, The feeling you get when you sit on luxury toilet seats? (laughs) Also, no, you're so into toilet seats. (laughs) Securing your financial future is one of the most important steps someone can take for themselves and their family, and Knapp Family Wealth is ready to help you pursue it. This isn't some big, faceless corporation we're talking about here. Knapp Family Wealth is run by J.C. Knapp. He's a huge baseball fan, and he's been helping people plan for their financial futures for 20 years. He can help with retirement planning so you don't have to work until you're dead, education planning so your kids learn to read good, investment management so you can get all that money out of your mattress and get it working for you. Don't spend another day thinking you've got it all figured out because trust me, you don't. Check out Nap Family Wealth at napfamilywealth.com. That's K-N-A-P-P familywealth.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA slash SIPC. We know we've still got a couple months to go before the trade deadline, but we thought we'd get an early convo going about what the Royals need to be considering so they will, as they will clearly be sellers at the deadline, right? Reports have it that uh, they're already getting calls about Araldus Chapman. There was a report out on that the other day. And it wouldn't be surprising if they're also getting calls from about other players as well. If you're a team that plans to contend, it makes sense that you would get a guy as early as possible so that he can have a greater impact on the season. Uh, Mike, let's start with a broad picture of this trade deadline, which it doesn't end until August 1st. Okay, August 1st is the trade deadline. So we got like two and a half months here 
before the Royals really, or for the Royals to be trading guys. How important do you think that this trade window is for the Royals? I, I think it's semi-important, and that's because a team like the Royals, it will always be more important to build through the draft, sign internationally, and develop your own players. That's the most important thing. But probably right after that is being transactional and gaining value through those trades. But for a trade, for a, for a year like this, I think the, probably the most important thing is to go into this process with a goal of some sort. If you're going, okay, these are the assets that we have to trade, you need to develop your goal based on that. If these are our assets to trade, what things do we want to come out of on August 2nd? What things do we want to have gained from this trade experience? So if the Royals go into it saying, okay, we have these things to trade, we want to get you know, one uh, lottery ticket starter and three arms that we think are almost sure things out of the bullpen moving forward. Okay, that's great. Or maybe we want to get, you know, one guy who we think can be a back end starter, one guy who can help us in, you know, up the middle, uh, middle infield uh, that we think is going to be a decent middle infielder and two guys that we think can be bullpen pieces down the road. Like have a set goal or a part of your team to work on. That's just having a plan is what that is. That's it. No, 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 no way. You almost, you almost uh, brought up the, the great Herm Edwards uh, saying, right? Which is what's your, what's your plan, right? A goal without a plan is a wish, right? Like exactly. So you yeah. gotta have a plan to go along with your goal, right? Like a uh, nod to Herm Edwards, the great Kansas city chiefs coach. Um, yeah, I agree. Like having a goal like that makes total sense to me. And hopefully they're having conversations about what they need moving forward to gain from this trade deadline. I don't, to me, if you ask like how important is this trade deadline or, or this trade window, it could be very important if they're like, we really want to turn this team around quickly. So if you're invested in this team being turned around quickly, then this is a really important trade deadline, right? If you're, if you're like, eh, we, we, we need to take more time. It needs to be two or three years out as opposed to like next year, then you know, this trade deadline is roughly as important as the next two, you know, like, but in my mind, because they have so many tradable assets and because they have such a deficit in one particular area, it's a pretty important trade deadline because the opportunity is out there. There is going to be demand for some of the guys that they have. There already is. And so unlike teams of the past, are they going to sort of, and it seems like they have a much clearer picture with development. I feel like as a result, they have an opportunity here to really take advantage of a very long list of tradable assets. The question is, will they be willing to move on from all of them as we have not been in the past? And will they be willing to, you know, and do they have a good sense of what they want in return? I have a question for you before we move on. Do you think ownership's want for a new stadium impacts what happens at the trade deadline this year? I think it does only in the sense that like, it has already impacted who controls the team. It has already impacted the pitching development. All of these things that have happened in the last year in part have happened because ownership wants a new stadium, right? In part, they've already happened. Like that's already baked into the the calculation for all this stuff. And so what the team really wants, I think, is for this thing to turn around as quickly as possible. Or that's what John Sherman wants, right? Because he needs he needs to get a winner on the field as quickly as possible to get public support behind this downtown stadium. Though, honestly, if I'm being 100% honest, I don't think it matters if if the team is doing well. I think public support will still 
at least a little bit be behind a new state, a downtown stadium. And I think they'll go forward with it, even if public support isn't really there, if that makes sense. <laughs> you know, I think he's getting what he wants, no matter what, right? Like that could be a cynical view on my point, but he's a billionaire in Kansas City. I think he's getting what he wants, right? And so to me, I don't think that ultimately matters that much. Do you have a thought on that? Do you think like, oh, I just, it, it, it's weird to me because I agree with you. I think he's going to get a lot faster support if he, if he uh, can turn the, you know, they can get a winner, a, a competitive product on the field sooner. I think that's going to help him. But, and then, then that then begs the question of, okay, well then are you willing to maybe move some of these guys or maybe you feel like not moving them is the way to keep public support. The question is, should any of that determine what you do on the field? It probably shouldn't. The only thing that should determine what you do for your organization is for the health and success of your organization. If this outside thing is now coming in and saying, well, we may need to make moves so that we can do this. That's not a good thing. So I I, know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think he I think he views those as completely tied together. I think in his mind, the health and, uh, of, of the organization, the health and success of the organization is tied to the new downtown stadium to at least a little degree. And so he's like, I want to turn this thing around as quickly as possible because I want a winning baseball team. And then I want to, uh, you know. A well, new yeah. downtown stadium. You know, okay, like, then that begs the question. If that's the case, then maybe there may be a guy, and we'll talk about it here in a second, a guy or two that you say, then we aren't going to trade them because we're going to need them in the next year or two. Whereas if we weren't going, if it was more of a longer approach, we would get rid of those guys and say, okay, we're going to build for two, three, four years out when we've got more of our guys in, guys that we feel fit with our development program and downtown stadium be damned. You know, we'll bring this up here in a second because Mike's going to bring this guy up. Mike, t- tell me who you think is on the trading block for the Royals. Then give me okay, your list. Well, I'm giving guys. you, I'm giving you three guys here, but of course the list could be much longer. It just, I just went with three guys that f- semi fit contract wise and things like that. So the first one is Brad Keller. He is a free agent after this year. He's got a 4.31 ERA. His walk numbers are really high. Uh, and he's very average to slightly below average when it comes to um, strikeout numbers. He's got more walks than he does strikeouts. That's never good for a starting pitcher. Um, but he could be a back-end kind of guy for a contender or a bullpen kind of swing roll kind of guy for a contender in the second half of the year. Right now, for this year alone, he is he has 0.00 war. He is replacement level right now for this year. And he's the second best starter right now on the Royals at that. Okay. That, that tells you where we are starting pitching wise, but um, I mean, it's the last year you're not, you're not probably getting Brad Keller back after this year. So, cause there is some value in him and that he, he throws, he never, he, he doesn't really get hurt. And so, you know, if he throws four four point three one 4.31 for, for the rest of his career, he'll pitch in major league baseball forever. Um, and so you can get something back for a Brad Keller. I think you have to move Brad Keller. I think that's, obvious. Now it kind of sucks because the Royals are extremely thin in the starting rotation as it is. If you get rid of Brad Keller, you're even thinner, but don't, don't hold on to him for this year, which is already wasted. Okay. Get rid of him, get what you can get something that fits your goal or your plan and move on. The second guy I'll talk about is Nikki Lopez. Uh, Nikki Lopez, you know, we like him. He's an, but he's arbitration eligible next year. He's a free agent in 26. Okay. He is a utility infielder. All right. I feel like the Royals have Samad Taylor. They have Michael Garcia. 
they've got guys, they've got Nick Lofton coming up, although I don't know how utility he really is anymore, mostly third base, but they've got guys that are ready to go in that extra bench player role utility guy. And so a contender could definitely want his glove. That's the the really selling point for Nicky Lopez. He plays an excellent shortstop, second base, or third base. So you're solid there. And he gives you at least something offensively from the left side. Although uh, I don't know that there's going to be a lot of teams out there that love his bat, but you love him. You love his glove and you love who he is. He's also 28 years old already. So I don't know that there's uh, a lot of upside to him. So if you can get something for Nicky Lopez, now might be a good time to do it. And a contender is getting a guy that they can use for the rest of this year and then be a bench guy for them moving forward as well. The last person on my list, because Mark is going to talk more about the relievers. Um, the last person on my list is Salvador Perez. Okay. We love Salvador Perez. He is a Kansas city legend and always will be okay. But he's 33 years old. He's signed through 2025, but he's got a club option for 2026. Okay, so you do have some control left with him still. But if you're looking for an area where the Royals can actually afford to maybe get rid of somebody, it's at catcher because they have a plethora of catchers coming through the system right now. Uh, Freddie Fermin is there. You've got uh, Logan Porter can catch. I mean, you've got just a, a, a bunch of different guys that are that are maybe not ready for Major League Baseball yet, but will be in a couple of years when the Royals are contending. And so Salvador Perez in a couple of years will be 35 years old, a big catcher who's had injury problems. So, and, and he is something that you could get legit return for because he's got power, because he provides you a, if not gold glove anymore, close to gold glove catching. Uh, he's got real value on the trade market. So I know we would hate to lose him because he's such a great dude and great teammate and leader and all that stuff. You just made him captain this year, but the Royals, if they're smart, will at least entertain the idea of trading Salvador Perez. Yeah, I don't think they will because of the sort of, he, they just made him captain. I don't think you make that decision if you're like, oh, we're also going to consider trading him here. So I think he's probably going to stick around. I think his contract is also a, a somewhat inhibits his ability to get moved. He makes quite a bit of money. Um, now, some team out there, there are going to be some teams who are like, man, we really want to bat in the middle of our lineup and we don't, we're not going to have Salvi catch. We're just going to have him DH. That's going to, some team might try that um, sort of thing. If they're willing to pay that much for a DH, maybe the Mets or, you know, Dodgers or something like that. Um, who knows? But Salvi is a guy who you're right, has some value there. Uh, and the Royals deep at catcher, it doesn't make, they can, they could, they could do without him, honestly. Like uh, if, if they, if they end up contending, look out for the Rangers to Salvador Perez. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Right? Chris Young. Yeah. Chris Young, yeah, Dayton well, Moore. They don't have they a whole willing, lot offensively. Are they willing to take on even more money? Like they've signed so many free agents in the last two years. That's a lot of money to take on. I would wonder if they would be willing to take on. He makes 20 million a year. That's that's the only significant contract the Royals really have is him. You know, I guess Jordan Lyles, maybe if you want to count that. Um, so, but you know, I don't know. It's one of those things where I think, you know, they should be hearing calls for it at the very least. Um, I want to throw a guy you didn't put on there and he's not on my list either, but I do want to throw out Matt Duffy out there as an option to trade. Oh yeah. He's, mm -hmm. he's played really well at third base. He's a, he's a rental completely complete rental guy, but he's done yeah. well enough that you might be able to get at least something for him. That, yeah. That's uh, why for, I didn't put him on there. I just didn't service. think the return would be all that great from, yeah, from Matt it Duffy, would, it, but it wouldn't be, but it might be something or a package with something else. Uh, my, my list of guys are, is just, it just says any bullpen guy, right? 
uh, I am of the mind that you should be, when you're not a good team, you should not try and construct a good bullpen because that's the last thing you should be putting together for success uh, and a playoff run and those sorts of things. Bullpen guys are notoriously volatile. They're notoriously easy to find off the scrap heap. You know, the Royals have done it themselves over the, over, in years past. And so any of the bullpen guys anybody wants to offer for, the Royals should be should be hearing offers for. Obviously, Araldis Chapman has already been talked about and was signed pretty much only to trade him. Like, that is why Araldis Chapman was signed by the Royals. Scott Barlow is a guy who has come up in trade talks in years past. A guy who has a ton of value as a reliever. And we've seen the market for relievers at the deadline is insane if you're willing to actually make those deals. Uh, Barlow is a guy who should have gotten a big haul last year. I think he'll, he'll, he'll be similarly valued this year. Chapman will be hugely valued this year. They need to be getting big hauls for those guys. Stamont has looked really good recently and he's throwing both two different types of breaking balls and now a fastball too. That's, you know, it's not what it once was, but it's still pretty hard. He might be a guy who has a lot of value on the, on the trading block. And so I think they got to be open to trading guys like them. Amir Garrett is another guy who, his numbers are pretty good this year. Trade he's him the, because he's, yeah. he's, he's, he's in the he's last done year. After this year. Yeah. Yeah. He's the last year of his contract. He's a rental. Chapman's a rental. Barlow has, I think another year left at least. And so, you know, good. That's they, more they value. Have, you get back. Exactly. They have bullpen guys who have some value. They should be trading on those bullpen guys like crazy come the deadline. In fact, I'd be taking, they should be taking those calls for all those bullpen guys right now. Because you can get more if you're trading them today than if you're trading them in a month or a month and a half. Mike, that's a long list of guys we sort of threw out there. That's probably, I think the Royals have probably six, seven, eight guys they're considering trading, maybe. Um, what do you think that they should be looking at and targeting in terms of getting back in returns for those trades? It's got to be pitching. It's got to start and end with pitching. They are so hurting for pitching depth in this organization. I mean, you see, we just signed, we just signed a guy from the Monarchs. Good for him. You know, I'm, I'm happy for that, but that's an independent team. I mean, we, we are hurting so bad for pitching in this organization. We have got to get some arm talent infused into our minor league system. Yes, we've there's some guys you can point to and go, okay, yeah, Mazzucato has looked really good. He's in high A or low A. Is he still in low A? He's in low A. He's in low A. Uh, you know, Coderna is starting to look a little bit better in low A, you know, uh, Cameron's looked good, but these are all guys in low A and high A after that it's Alec Marsh. I know Jonathan Boland just came back, but he's coming off injury. Like Anthony Veneziano is another guy in double Veneziano has been in double A, but it's, these guys are not close and yeah, it's not enough. It's just not deep enough either. It's not enough arm talent and it's not deep enough either. And so it starts and ends with pitching. You have got to get back a lot of pitching. Yeah. And that's how you solve a pitching problem. It's actually not with quality. It's with numbers, right? And so you need to get up, like they have two guys in the high minors in Marsh and Veneziano right now who you would say, okay, those guys might turn into successful, viable major league pitchers. You can't do it with two because you know, the odds of both guys succeeding are way long. The odds of even one of those two guys succeeding are pretty long right? Because you need numbers. You need, you need 10 guys who look like they're ready to succeed at the major league level. And you might get, if you're good at what you're doing and and they seem to be doing a decent job of, of of sort of strategizing for pitchers and all that sort of stuff. You have those 10 guys, maybe if you're lucky, five of them work out and I'm talking starters and bullpen guys. Okay. 
if, 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 if three of them work out, you're probably okay with it. If five of them work out, you did an amazing job. Right. And so you need to solve that with both, not, not just quality of pitching prospects, but numbers, you need a bunch of quality pitching prospects. And right now they just don't have that many at the high minors that could really be on deck to support this team in 2024, 2025. And that's what they're looking for. I think, um, beyond that, if they're, if they're looking for something other than pitching, which I agree with you. That should be their number one, number two, number three priorities. If they have a number four priority, if they want to to look at something as a throw in or something like that, it might be a legit center field prospect. Uh, I like Kyle Isbell. I think he's done well defensively, but offensively, it has not looked great from Kyle Isbell. Drew Waters, we don't know what he's going to be, you know, offensively in the major leagues. We're not really sure yet. He's been injury prone throughout his career. We're not really sure what he's even going to look like defensively at major league level. I think you got to solve the center field problem in a similar way to the pitching problem and just get some numbers behind it. You know, get a couple more guys in here to maybe some odd Taylor might be able to do it at some point or who knows, but get a, get another guy or two in here to create some competition for that center field spot. And maybe one of them pops and you have a legit center field, uh, whole, you have that hole plugged moving forward. But really, if they didn't, if they didn't get any sort of center fielder or any position player, if they just traded for 10 pitchers at this trade deadline, I'd be perfectly okay with that. We're talking about trading in the long term and all sorts of, but Mike, how will trading so many MLB caliber players? I'm going to put that in quotes. MLB caliber <laughs> players. Uh, they are, right? Like they are. I mean, because the guys we're looking to trade, Salvi, Araldis Chapman, Scott Barlow, they are legit. MLB caliber players, some of them all, you know, stars in this league. Um, how will that impact the MLB team this year? The The bullpen is going to be the thing probably impacted the most. I mean, they're going to take a hit. Now, they've not been world beaters anyway. And like you said, that's the last kind of thing that you should be focusing on when you're a team that's not really contending. The, the thing that's really tough is our starting rotation is already bad. Okay. And like I said, um, Brad Keller is is a replacement level player so far this year. Now, theoretically, what that means is you could go down and just replace him from AAA. The problem is at AAA, the Royals don't even have replacement level players right now, starting pitching wise anyway. And so it, it's going it, it, to the pitching side could get really, really bleak. Um, it is already pretty bleak, but it could get worse after the trade deadline. I think they're going to be fine offensively. I agree with you. I don't think they will trade Salvador Perez. Um, but I think that they should at least entertain the idea. Um, but I don't think their lineup gets any worse based on trading away like a Nicky Lopez or uh, a, a Matt Duffy or anything like that. I, I think they probably uh, are just fine with those things. Yeah. The thing about their rotation is what they might do. Well, first off, this is, we're talking about two and a half months from now, too. And so who knows? Maybe Alec Marsh and Austin Cox and Anthony Viziano are ready to to make a start in the major leagues at that point. Who knows? I, I, I'm, I'm doubtful of any of that, but who knows? What they also might do is get guys back who they think are major league ready, but are in AAA for other organizations, right? So they, they might target some guys, at least one or two. It wouldn't surprise me if they're like, hey, we're going to target one or two near major league ready or major league ready AAA guys. They're going to come in and just start for us for the rest of the season but we're also going to have some guys right behind them who we target and tra- for trades who are the guys we're really waiting on, right? The guys we really want to have success because 
most clubs, they're not going to want to give up these triple A guys who are like, you know, capable starting pitchers at the major league level. But if the Royals can get one or two of them, they might be able to replace a guy like Brad Keller and bolster that starting rotation a little bit, even if just by raising its floor instead of like raising its ceiling, if that makes sense. The Royals continue a long road trip this week with a three-game series in San Diego before an off day and then a three-gamer in Chicago against the White Sox again. Hey, maybe they'll get another series win. Mike, what do you think? Oh, that would be fantastic. Man, I, I, if we're going to beat anybody, I just hope it's the White Sox so badly. I don't I, I don't like that team. <laughs> just and, keep and them I, down, I right? Because they're, they're in a bad place, down. man. They are. Like, they are they're really right now. not good. It's and, not good. And it's, it's not yeah. good for them. Uh, anyway, uh, hopefully they can grab another series win. I hope they grab a series win in San Diego. That's a really good team, and they're going to face some really good pitchers. Tell us about the uh, the boys in SoCal, Mike, uh, the the Friars of, of San Diego. You mean the, the San Diego Fathers? Um, the yeah. San Diego Fathers are oh. a good collection of baseball players, but their record's only 19 and 22 right now. And so, you know, they're probably not where they thought that they would be at the beginning of the year, but they have some superstar power that they've paid for. And so uh, the first game will give us Brad Keller versus Michael Waka, okay, former St. Louis Cardinal Michael Michael Waka, a 31-year-old right-handed pitcher out of Texas A&M. He's got a 4.82 ERA this year, which is not good. Well, it's not, yeah, it's pretty bad. 1.34 whip. Waka doesn't throw quite as hard as he used to. His fastball is averaging 92 right now. Change-up, cutter, slider, curveball, mostly fastball change-up since the change-up has been his kind of calling card ever since he got into the league. Um, so yeah, let's see some good stuff from hopefully Brad Keller there. Uh, and then in the second game, I'm really interested in seeing because we're going to get to see Brady Singer throw again. And so I want to see how much is he integrating the changeup? How's his command? I'm really concerned about the command of his slider. That's the thing that really kind of gets me some of when he's not going well, it's nowhere near the zone. And so that, that scares me. I want to see how he throws in this one. It'd be Singer versus Seth Lugo. 33-year-old right-handed pitcher out of, uh, here we go, you ready? Centenary <laughs> College of Louisiana. Centenary College it's of Louisiana. It's the Harvard of the Swamp. It's the yeah. Harvard of the Swamp. <laughs> what do you think their mascot is? Uh, I, that would be great. Uh, I have no idea. The Gator? I don't <laughs> the know. Fight, like, fighting Gators, I guess. I don't know, whatever. I don't know. Uh, so, uh, he, you know, he's a good pitcher, though. Fastball 93. He's got great numbers this year. 3.18 ERA, 1.29 whip. Uh, 93 for on his fastball curveball, uh, sinker slider, uh, throws his fastball and, and sinker. Is that sinker? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 51% of the time. So he's throwing two seam or four seam about over 50% of the time. Um, and they're having success. Hitters are actually having success against everything, but his four seam fastball. So that'll be an interesting one. I feel like those are two games that the Royals have a chance at winning. So hopefully that's good. Now the third one <laughs> may not be as good of a chance of winning. We don't know who the Royals starter is going to be. To be clear, it could be Daniel Lynch. Uh, it could be that could be his. He could be back in the lineup for that. Uh, so as of right rotation. now, though, no, uh, no know. announced, no, no announced probable starter from the Royals. There is an announced probable starter for the Padres, and that's you Darvish. Okay. And you Darvish is a very good pitcher, even at 36 years old out of Japan. 3.16 ERA, 1.08 whip. I, I'm not even going to talk about the pitches because the guy's got like 30. Okay. <laughs> okay. He's so got here's the thing. 30 pitches. Look at that. A little behind One the of those scenes says, thing. That says SW. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, Mark. What's SW? <laughs> 
here's a little behind the scenes thing for you. I'm the one who writes out all the sort of preview stuff. Mike just reads it like a mindless drone. Okay. <laughs> I, I saw you Darvish come up. Right. And I'm like, Oh, he throws a thousand pitches. And so, <laughs> so I just, I just enter two letters for the pitch every time. It's just, I give an abbreviation for the pitch and I put it in there today. And I'm like, he's not going to know what half of these are. <laughs> I don't know what SW is. What is that? It's a, it's a sweeper. sweeper. It's a which sweeper. Is, which, okay, yeah, I got gotcha. you. Which we're differentiating from a slider. From a slider. There's also okay, a cutter. Gotcha. There's one that just well, says SP. Mike, what do you think that is? Split, that's a splitter. I know he throws a good splitter. That is, right? that is a splitter. So, yes, yeah, very good. So, uh, so he's got like every pitch that you can possibly have in the book. He's probably invented a couple. The thing that scares me, we have a really young lineup. <laughs> So this guy could go out there and make them look ridiculous. And so, cause a lot of these guys haven't faced a pitcher like you Darvish, who is, you know, the, the best junk pitcher like of all time. I mean, yes, he still throws pretty hard, but you never know what's coming. It, 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 the ball could come out of his ass. Who knows? We don't know. Okay. The guy is different. Okay. He's a different cat. He throws unbelievable junk up there. So mixes them all very well. Um, the the Royals may throw a lot of or put a lot of left-handed bats in the lineup because he does tend to have pretty big split difference between righties and lefties. Lefties hit him hit him much better. So uh, good luck against you, Darvish. I really hope that's not Daniel Lynch's first start back because that could be ugly. Well, if if Darvish is throwing balls out of his ass, it might be ugly. Like honestly, like <laughs> I don't want to see anything like that on a baseball field. This is a family program, okay? So, uh, Chicago White Sox. After that, they'll head to the south side of Chicago. Um, we just saw them, so you should know a ton about the Chicago White Sox. Offense is real Jekyll and Heidi with some guys who are having great years, like Luis Robert and Yasmani Grandal, and a couple others. And some guys having really bad years, like Elvis Andrus and a couple of the guys that got f- filling in because injuries have been an issue for them as well. Tim Anderson is kind of always on and off the IL. He's not having a great year either as he's dealing with injuries and stuff like not that. Not even playing um, short anymore, really. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 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 tough. And they've already lost who they lose, the guy for the whole year. Or no, they didn't lose him for the year, but he had appendicitis too, just like Nicky Lopez. I think it was oh. Elo Jimenez. Uh, they I just got Mancato back, I think. Okay, they just got him back. But injuries have like plagued the White Sox uh, offensively. And then, you know, just poor performance has plagued their pitching staff, like inconsistent pitching. Lucas Giolito is doing very well this year, but Dylan Cease is having a down year so far. Just been about Major League average. Mike Clevenger, who they signed this offseason, has just been about Major League average. And the bullpen has been super volatile. Ronaldo Lopez has an ERA over eight right now. And so it's just not, it's been real inconsistent, really volatile. Classic. Chicago White Sox over the last few years, honestly, real talented in some ways, and yet also not really great as a collective. Ever since they made the playoffs a couple of years ago, it has been real, uh, real volatile from them. Yeah, and you got guys like you got Luis Robert jogging down to first, and Tim Anderson today. I don't know if you saw the video of it. There's a people talk about how at some point the camera goes to him, and he just says, "I hate it here." Um, like it's, it's not looking good. It's not looking good on the South side right now for our boy, Pedro Grafal, who by all accounts is loved by lots of players. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if he's got, got the, uh, got them to buy in yet. Well, in this week's episode, like we end every episode with our just a bit outside segment where we talk about something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball, Michael James Mead. Tell me what's going on in your life outside the world of baseball this last week. You want to just give the listeners my social security number too there, buddy? (laughs) For what? To take what from you? (laughs) 
I got things. All right. I got things. Sure you do. Um, sure you do. So my just a bit outside is a frustration. It's a frustration with the Missouri State Legislature. Okay. Garbage. For the for the umpteenth year in a row, we they they failed to legalize sports gambling. Okay. So we're just leaving again millions of dollars on the table. Kansas has it. Iowa has it. Illinois has it. We can't, we're like millions of dollars. Get that away from me. Uh-uh, don't want that. Come on. It, it's unanimous. It's, it's universally approved by the voting public. You know, it, it just doesn't make any sense. And after last year, everybody thought, okay, Kansas has adopted it now. So we're now losing money to can- the Kansas side. We'll get our shit together and we'll, we'll pass uh, legalize for sports gambling. Doesn't happen. It's insane. It's it's just so insane to me. We almost defunded all public libraries. We almost shut down every public library in Missouri, but we can't legalize sports gambling to bring revenue to the state uh, for something that's already happening. There are already mil- there's already millions of dollars flowing out of the state of Missouri in gambling to offshore or over to Kansas or up to Iowa, over to Illinois. All, all this stuff is happening. It's just we're not getting benefiting from it. That's the only thing. We're, we're just hurting ourselves over and over and over again. And so, and that's, and here's the weird thing. You might think, well, maybe it's, you know, old politics as usual and there's obstruction and blah, blah, blah. The same party controls every part of our state government. Every single part. There isn't anything stopping them from doing this. Like there is no opposition party that can stop them. All they have to do is do it. And they have not done it. In fact, the, the person who is stopping it is of that same party. And so. It's driving me nuts at this point. You know, we, people are like, oh, well, we've got a, we've got a budget surplus. That's just left over from COVID people. That's not going to last you. This is a revenue stream that you can maximize in your state. And you're just choosing not to do it. You're choosing not to fund education with it. You're choosing not to fund roads with it. You're choosing to have a shit, a poorer state just cause just cause. Oh, it's so honestly, honestly, this thing is like thing 150th on the list of things the Missouri state legislature, Missouri state government has done to hurt its own populace. Right? I like, know it's, I it's killing I, me. Don't but even get me started on, 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 on it to some degree, <laughs> but like, do you want need more evidence that they are not actually representing the interest of, do, do you know anyone who doesn't want sports gambling in Missouri? I don't know anyone who's like, even I really care about this. Nobody cares. There's nobody who doesn't want it. And yeah. the people who do want it really want it. Right. Like, and that's the thing. And so the, even the people who don't gamble are like, I don't care. Let them spend care. their no. money. Who cares? <laughs> who is the constituency for whom not having sports gambling is an issue? Doesn't exist. <laughs> Does not exist in the state of Missouri. Thing 150. It's not as important as a lot of the other ways in which the Missouri state government is hurting its populace. But it's another thing, and this is a sports podcast, and it annoys us because we want to gamble. And so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just one of those things. It drives me nuts. I hate hate the Missouri state government. Going to southern Portugal. Here we go. Um, anyway, Mike, you got me rant riled, as you always do during this segment. Uh, <laughs> you knew you knew when you brought this up. You knew my, this is going to trigger Mark. Um, I thought it might. I'm going to bring yeah. up something else. I'm going to bring up something else that is just interesting to me that I was just thinking about the other day. Uh, Mike, you and I have actually talked about this uh, at different times, and I had a conversation with a friend about it a couple of days ago, and that's what, why it's on my mind. And that is the notion of two-income households and 
the ramifications that economic pressures that forced us to have two income households have had on society, right? And so I was speaking with a friend the other day about this, about how when America started, when inequality became such an issue in America that it became necessary for most people to have two income households, that had tremendous impact on child rearing, on the decision to have children, on so many other things socially uh, including like, you know, issues that kids have in school and behavioral things and stuff like that. And he and I were talking about this because his wife is a kindergarten teacher. I was talking about it just for other reasons because I'm interested in it. But I want us to think about the ways in which, and I want everybody who listens to this to also just consider the ways in which the economics of America from say 1950, actually more like 1980, somewhat in the seventies, but mostly taking off in the eighties, pushed us to the point where one income wasn't enough to be middle class in America. And so both parents in a household had to go to work or both people in a household, if they're a partnership had to work. Right. And as a result, we get to a place where it's like, okay, now kids are in situations where they have to go to daycare. Well, instead of being raised by one parent where it's like maybe three kids to one parent, now it's like five kids to every adult or 10 kids to every adult in the room. And and, and think about the ways in which that changes as a society what we're doing in terms of child rearing and how kids are ready to go to school and all those sort of things. And then think about what we do in response to the fact that they're misbehaving in school or to the fact that they're having troubles or whatever. Right. I want us to really think about that because for me, income inequality, economic inequality is a big issue, right? Sports gambling annoys the heck out of Mike. The fact that there are people, the massive economic inequality in America annoys me. (laughs) And I wish that we would like, mark these different things that people really care about. I hear parents talk about this all the time. They talk about these issues that you know their kids are having and they don't necessarily attribute it to the fact that like, oh, we have economic pressures that are forcing a lot of people into the workforce who may choose not to be in the workforce if they could have the if they actually had the choice to be and just like raise children or do other things or whatever. Um you know it's it's one of those things that I, I hope we can stop at least for a second and ask ourselves you know, how did we get to this place where everybody from a household who's an adult who can work has to work? And how is it maybe not having the best outcomes? I legit had this conversation with my mother-in-law like a week ago because we were talking about, you know, we're wrapping up the school year. I'm a teacher. We were talking about like, oh, these are, this is kind of how schools work. And, and she was like, well, why is that? And this is exactly what I pointed to as one of the major reasons why these things occur. Um, On top of that tie-in, I do want to say happy Mother's Day. Today is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to everybody out there. All the moms, my wife, happy Mother's Day, my mother-in-law, our mom, the OG. OG mom. She she was busy. We actually talked about bringing her on here. Maybe we will one of these Mm -hmm. days, but um, happy Mother's Day to our mother. Um, Great, great people. But yes, I agree. We don't even, we haven't even figured out yet the ramifications of those things. They are huge. They are everywhere. Yeah. Anyway, that's a little thinker for you. So just ask yourself that. What would I be doing if I didn't have to work? What, what, what would, how would our household be different if both of us didn't have to work and that sort of stuff? Uh, asking those important questions can distract us from uh, a week in which, who knows, maybe the Royals won't win a lot of games. <laughs> uh, either way, we'll be back next week to talk more Royals baseball with you. Until then, be good to each other. And go Royals. <laughs>